Welcome, dear friends. It's another edition of the Brattlecast, a first-hand look at second-hand books. But it's so much more than that when we have our good friend Ken Gloss, the proprietor of the Brattle Bookshop on West Street in Boston, brattlebookshop.com, legendary throughout these parts and around the country. And I'm Jordan Rich here with Ken. And you mentioned a name occasionally. You mentioned it at an event we were at. And it's a name that people in the public relations and marketing world know one of the great names, Edward Bernays. And there's a connection to a new book that we wanted to have you talk about. Well, it's interesting because I was, I recently got 6,000 books in Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia is a five and a half, six hour drive. And I had to go back and forth two or three times. So I was listening to the radio. What, what vehicle did you have? At uh, we, the, time? We have the store has a pickup truck. Okay, good. So you can take a couple of thousand <laughs> books at a time. But it's, it's a long ride back and forth. And it, so I was listening to the radio and I was listening to essentially a podcast uh, called The Hidden Brain, which is about sociological things and different thinking. And a man came on, and he had written a, a book. He was a, a business school at Kellogg, uh, the Kellogg Business mm -hmm. School um, at Northwestern. And he was talking about uh, the human factor. In other words, he said a lot of people look at problems in business, and they try to go, if something's slow or something, they try to keep pushing and pushing with what they're doing and keep, you know, in that one direction. He said... One of the things that you really need to think about is not so much the pushing, it's what's holding you back, what, what the friction is. Mm -hmm. And it impressed me, and he talked a few examples, and one in particular was a, a mattress, online mattress company, and people love the mattresses, love this, and the problem with it was— what do you? No one was buying it because what do you do with your old mattress? <laughs> yes. and, and he found that was the point of friction, okay. and that once that company figured that out, they part of their service was when you got the delivery, they took the and their sales went right up, and, and you know this was sort of a new concept, a new idea, and I immediately. The next day, I had bought a bunch of old Fortune magazines. I, this is a real—the way my stories come uh, out. I'm with and, you, man. And, and, it's and, okay. I, and I thought of a book I had read and a person I knew, Edward Bernays, who was a public relations. He felt public relations wasn't like being just a publicist. It was a sociological science. Mm -hmm. In other words, you did surveys. You did studies. How do you do this? How do you get this done? And this fortune reminded me of two stories, but, but one that was in his book and he had told me about because I was in the book business. Back in the post-World War II, he got hired by book publishers to how do we increase sales of books. Now, the immediate idea would be, well, you publicize books. Not if you're Edward Bernays. The first thing you do is you go to houses, which, of course, everybody was building houses at the time, right after the post-World War II, this suburbanization. And you convince house builders to put bookshelves in the houses because it adds more prestige. If you're going to get people who are more literate, they're willing, they have more money, they're, they're more— Brilliant. So he actually hmm. did a whole campaign, got— people to do that, to do building houses, architects, because it would help sell their houses. It was in to their benefit. 
But then they did studies. The other problem they had was, okay, you had to know where to buy the books. So he did a thing called Welcome Wagon, which also, when you first move into a community, they found that if you buy and get products, you remember those. And once you establish the buy, so the local bookstore would, in Welcome Wagon, would give you some books. The next problem they had, because, okay, then you're buying books. The next problem is the minute those bookshelves filled up, what do you do? You stop, either stop buying books or you go, well, there's no, what do I do with these? He went around to Goodwill stores and said, one of the things you really should have is people like them and get them cheaply. In your Goodwill stores, you should have book departments. Uh-huh. Thus, people could then give away their books, make room on their shelves. And I, and I was thinking of this podcast I had just heard about this great new idea. Well, what do you do? You have to get rid of the old things in order to get the new. So, <laughs> this is, by the way, Edward Bernays. Uh, I I met him when he was in his late nineties, and uh, if you're in the business I'm in, it was a thrill because he's known as the quote unquote father of public relations. But you're telling me a whole new side of all the cool things he oh. came up with. The whole idea, by the way, of of getting architects to put bookshelves into houses. It's almost like 3D, 4D chess that he's playing. Yeah, and then to get goodwill to open yeah. stores so that you could move oh, them along. Uh, the way my father first built, met Bernays, and and my wife and I were very fortunate when we were younger, was that uh, my father one time got on the radio. I think it was actually... W-E-I was Paul Benzequin. That's all right. Who Who worked for BZ as well at one point. uh, And my father used to call in every Friday at 5 o'clock with an interesting item. And my father got this great letter of Freud in once. And he got on the radio and talked about it. And Bernays called up and says, well, I'd be very interested in the Freud letter and so on because he liked everything his uncle did. He was his, his nephew. <laughs> he was Freud's nephew. Oh, my And God. so my father said, well, that's great. You're Freud's nephew. My father had no idea who Bernays was. He said, well, if I bring this down to you, do you think we could get some press and some people down? Get the right to, guy. You know, no. Well, Bernays didn't even let on at all. He wanted to see what my father would do. Two days later, my father had a reporter from the Globe down at Bernays' house in Cambridge without even realizing who Bernays was. That's so funny. And, and Bernays enjoyed it immensely. And we got to know him And um, in any case, but I started reading things. And one of the things that also, just when I got back to the store after listening to this podcast, I got a Fortune magazine in. And two things that came up. I looked at the back cover and there was an ad for Lucky Strikes. And I looked at the package. It was green. Well, of course, Bernays had worked for American Tobacco Company. Mm-hmm. Now, you can go back and, you know, say, you know, working for tobacco and cigarette companies and all that. But that was but then, different th- era. Th- this, was, this was the 30s and the 20s. They, they wanted to increase their sales particularly to women. So uh, did, did, yeah, you want to describe uh, what we're looking at? We're looking at, well, sunshine mellows, heat purifies, lucky are all, luckies are always your kind to your throat. It, it's a full-page back cover ad. That's of, what a, of, a, of a woman on a beach, right. uh, probably. So, right, right. Uh, but 
one of the things that uh, they wanted to increase their sales, particularly to women. Bernays, again, being Bernays, first of all, said we've got to do surveys, first of all, to find out why women aren't smoking Lucky Strikes. Mm -hmm. They did extensive surveying. What they found out is the green clashed with the fashion. That was the reason people weren't smoking Lucky Strikes. The packaging is green in that ad, and that was the issue. That was the issue. And the only way you find that out is to do the survey, right? To do the survey. Which was revolutionary. Which was revolutionary. But, so what do you do? You can change the packaging, but Lucky Strike had spent huge amounts of money on the packaging. They didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So what does someone like Bernays do? He goes to the, all the cloth manufacturers. He says, you know, the coming color for next year is green. <laughs> and, and he sponsored green balls, all like in Paris, in New York, oh, in man. London, uh, never ever mentioning. Right. Within one year, he changed the fashion of the world to green. Lucky Strikes, went, the selling went way up. Well, what you're talking about, and we refer to the book The Human Factor, which is a new yeah. book, uh, is exactly that. He knew enough – well, he was Freud's nephew. After yeah. He knew enough about psychology and yeah. how people react, and he didn't have to hit you over the head. He did it subtly. Well, you know, of course, you might look at it. Well, uh, however you did it and what you were selling. But in many ways, he was as influential or more influential than Freud, but just nobody ever knew it. Because he said one of the things when you're in public relations, you don't want to ever be in the news. Right. You're, you're, you're behind the scenes. Now, they changed the fashion to green. He said it wasn't he who did this, but what they still weren't happy with the green packaging. So what happened was in World War II, somebody else was working for them at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, in World War II, a lot of the uniforms had to be camouflaged yes. and green. Lucky's had this big campaign says green goes to war. They patriotically gave up all the green dyes, changed their packaging to red, which was what they had been wanting to do for years and years and years. But you meet these interesting people, these characters. The other part about this was Fortune magazine. He worked for Time Life Mm -hmm. at the time. And Fortune is this magazine that was a dollar a piece. It came out in 1930. The, I mean, right at the Depression. So this issue is 31, June. Yeah, so this it's is right 31. After. But a dollar an issue. I mean, the normal magazine sold for a nickel. Yeah. They actually were having no trouble selling the magazine. They were selling lots of them. People were putting them on their coffee table. They are be- but, it's a beautiful magazine, yeah. But they were a prestige and a status symbol. They right. weren't reading them. They did surveys and found out that people were doing that. The advertisers were not happy. So Bernays had to run a whole huge campaign about getting people to open and look at the articles. And he obviously did that because fortune is still here and done. And it's a lot of what you meet in the business is you're driving to Philadelphia – you listen to a podcast on the radio. The radio mentions something. It immediately clicks to me. Brene, this isn't new. This is he done that all. And I don't know whether these people had ever heard new or anything about them. They were professors of business. And then the next day, you get to the store. 
You buy a bunch of Fortune magazines. You see the, the green packaging. And I'll tell you one other little trick that Brene used to do that I do. And uh, if anyone's listening to the podcast who ever wants to do an interview or talk, maybe, Jordan, you'll understand this, is I knew Brene's I was, when I was first dating my wife, and this was back in the late 70s. She had studied communication and public relations at University of Massachusetts, and we'd gone out a few times, and I said, mm-hmm. oh, Ed- Edward Bernays. And first of all, she had assumed that he was dead because <laughs> he, was he lived to 100 years old. Yeah, so he was old then. Right? He was old then, yeah. and he would retire. And I said, oh, well, would you like to meet him? And she goes, what? <laughs> and she said, yes. And um, so I— um, I mentioned it to Mr. Bernays, and his wife was wonderful also. And he said, sure, have her get in touch with me. And she called him up and told me, he says, I would love to meet with you. I would love to see you. Um, why don't you come over to my house at 6.30 in the morning on, on Wednesday? 6.30 Six, in the morning. 6.30 in the morning. And she said, absolutely, I'll be there. What he told, well, I, what he told us both later was, Anytime a young person would ever ask him about his business, about being interviewed, about talking with him, he would always say yes. Absolutely. He'd love talking to young people. But he would say something like, see me at 6 or Mm. 5.30 in the morning or 6. Because he said, if they weren't willing to do that, why should I spend time talking to them? That's brilliant. And by the way, how to impress a a date. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Good for you, you wily devil. That was... Very impressive. One of the things, the I'll, I'll end it on this thing, the, because we went and we saw his wife and we went to dinner mm. at his house many times. But when he was 100 years old, by that time we had two daughters. They were, you know, I mean, one wasn't in school. I think one was in the first grade. He said, bring them over. I'd love to see them. He had them sitting on his lap. And this is where I regret it was before cell phones and before being able to take a video. He had both of them sitting on his lap singing God Bless America to them. (laughs) And he's a 100-year-old man. He's got my kids. I just wish I had a video of that. I remember he used to wear that bow tie all the time. He wore that. And and very – such a character, such an interesting character. that's one of the great things about – working and running the Brattle Bookshop is there's story after story like that and there's one connection that you'd never ever think of and then you go off onto tangents into many many other things Uh, it's a love of I think history local and and regional and national and international that really binds this whole story together and people and people exactly and people make history thank you so much he's Ken Gloss I'm Jordan Rich and this has been another fascinating edition of the Brattlecast Thank you.